0: You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Welcome to a huge episode of Red Leg Nation Radio, as we're very privileged today to be joined one of the, by one of the Red's all-time greats. In a Reds career that span from 1961 to 1970, he holds the Reds' record in strikeouts tri- strikeouts per nine innings. He's second in career shutouts, second in hits per nine innings, has three of the top ten strikeout seasons for the Reds, and many other top ten uh, Reds' records. And believe me, this isn't a complete list of his accomplishments by any stretch of the imagination. During the 60s, he was mentioned in the same breath with Sandy Koufax, Bob Gibson, Don Drysdale, and Juan Marischal. We are absolutely thrilled today to be joined by Mr. Jim Maloney. Jim, thanks very, very much for joining us today. Yeah,
1: thank you, Bill. Nice that I can help out a little
0: bit. It'll be great. Let's jump right into this thing. You, you grew up in Fresno, California, and you were a three-star athlete at Fresno High School. Uh, but your big sport was probably baseball, I'm assuming. You played uh, shortstop in high school and, and were scouted by every major league team. Yeah,
1: that's right. Uh... In fact, uh my senior year I was I stayed out of uh football. I was a quarterback and uh, cuz I knew uh the scouts were telling me you know if you want to get out of have a chance to go to baseball and not be get injured playing football and uh don't take that chance uh because that was, you know, I was going to be in like a high draft pick. They didn't have a the draft in those days, but there was a lot of scouts uh, looking, they came to all our games. We had, uh, Dick Ellsworth was a pitcher on the ball club. Uh, he spent about 12 years in the major leagues. Uh, Pat Corrales was our catcher. He's still in baseball after 50 years. Uh, he's a uh, executive, I think, with the Dodgers now. But, uh, so we had a terrific, uh, high school baseball team. So that's what I did. I stayed out of football and then, uh, my senior year, uh we all we had a great ball club. I don't I can't remember what we did there. They said we had the best team in the state at that time, but I don't even know if they kept those kind of records or not. But uh we had a good team for a high school and uh we had about five guys sign pro contracts off that team, two others that were pitchers that hurt their arms in the minor leagues and, and uh had to drop out. And then there was uh, Pat Corrales and myself and Dick Ellsworth. And then two years later, uh, Dick Selma, who pitched in the Major Leagues, mm-hmm. came through and uh, signed. But he was, he was a couple years behind us.
0: I, I read that you really only pitched two games in high school. You, you struck out 16 in a seven-inning game and 25 in a nine-inning game. How would you end up as a pitcher?
1: Well, um I didn't pitch because we had two other guys pitching all the Dick Ellsworth. and I, so I was playing shortstop and uh, I could hit a little bit. I was a decent hitter, and uh, so I, I that was that was my deal. And when we got an American Legion ball, we played three games on the weekends, and uh, uh, so you know I get to pitch a little bit, maybe uh, a couple of times. But I I started one game in Visalia. And the lights were sort of bad, and I, I hit the first guy up, and uh, I don't think there was any of them want to stand in there. <laughs> just and I just put all those guys out, but uh, uh, you know it was just one of those deals. But when I when I graduated from high school, my dad, you know, there were no agents in those days, and uh, so my dad was a successful uh, used car dealer, been in business for many years there in Fresno, and uh, he was sort of my you might say. And the night I graduated from high school, um, there were 16 major league teams at that in that time. It was eight in the National and eight in the American League. And uh, the night I got out of high school, or the day afternoon I graduated, uh, we talked to every major league club that wanted to sign me right out of high school, and uh, they were offering me money like. Uh, uh, $40,000, uh, bonus to sign a contract and half of them wanted me as an infielder or, you know, as a, as, as a hitter. And, um, so my dad said I was with more money and, uh, turned all that stuff down. If my dad wasn't there, I would have signed, I would have signed for a Hershey bar, you know, Just because you uh, wanted to
0: play, huh?
1: That's it. And, uh, he said, no, he said, I was worth more money and then I was going to go on to school. And so I had all these offers at college. And my dad was real good friends with the California, uh, University of California, Berkeley coach. And um, so anyway, that's where I ended up going. I went up there and uh, I uh, was a fish out of water. I had a hard time adjusting. Uh, uh, You know, I was away from home, not far, but I mean, I was away from home. And uh, so I only lasted one semester there. And uh, But I, I uh, came back in mid-semester to Fresno and got into Fresno City College, and uh, had, we had a great ball club. In fact, they still have great ball clubs at Fresno City College. It's a great uh, junior college school. And uh, so that's where then Bobby Maddox, who was a Cincinnati Red Scout at that time, one of the top scouts on the West Coast, uh, he signed like guys like Frank Robinson Vada and Vader Pinson. Then there was a guy named Jesse Gonder who was a catcher and uh now Queen. And uh there was quite a few uh ball that, that, that he signed out of that uh Bay Area. I I live in the central valley where I was living and still do, but uh so he stuck in the fashion, nobody knew anything about it and he got a hold of my dad and he says, We wanna sign the boy and uh so, we all got together at a hotel where we was staying downtown Fresno and uh anyway, they come up with a contract and offered me a major league contract guaranteed for three years and uh, the minimum salary in those days was ten thousand dollars and i mean I'm sorry, it was seven thousand dollars and the rents were offering me ten thousand dollars guaranteed for three years, and uh right around sixty five thousand dollars uh bonus so uh, as my dad look, you know, turned out, he was right, you know, I got a little more money, but anyway, uh, my dad was also very good friends with George Bryson, and at that time, he was the, uh, television, uh, color guy for the Reds, and, uh, he, uh, so anyway, he was talking to my dad, and then they wanted, you know, they wanted me there, and that's how I, I ended up with, uh, Cincinnati, so, uh, that was a good choice for me, I enjoyed all my years there in Cincinnati, and, uh, Great city and great people, and uh, uh, you know I just—I'm glad I was able to
0: stay ten years in one place. Well, okay, let's let, let's back up to the beginning of your career here. You spent '59 and part of 1960 in the minors, but you made your major 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 league debut on July 27, 1960. What do you remember about that day?
1: Well, I remember I got beat. Yes, uh, you did. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I started against the. Uh, Los Angeles Dodgers in uh, the Coliseum. They were playing, uh, the Dodgers played in the uh, L.A. Coliseum with football field, and they made it into a baseball field. It had a little short left-field fence that, you know, it was only like 290 feet. They put a high screen on it, and uh, the guy could hit a line drive that would go out of any ballpark would hit the screen and hold the guy to a single, and... Uh, but anyway, I pitched against Don Drysdale, and I I didn't do uh, bad. I, I gave up a couple of runs, and I ended up uh, he shut us out. And I ended up getting beat, I believe, two to nothing.
0: Yep, you only get, actually you only gave up one run,
1: Jim. Oh, I did. I didn't realize that we got beat two to nothing. Yes, right? you did.
0: That team yeah. had some pretty good players. I mean, Duke Snyder was still a pretty good ball player. They had Frank Howard. Maury Wills was on that team. Yeah, they had. Uh, and then they got this Wally
1: Boone, which was sort of at the end of his career, mm-hmm. but he was a left-hand hitter, and he learned to hit the ball inside out. He, they, and he hit those little fly balls into the left-field bleachers, it was like, and they called it the moon Shot. Yep. So he had that. So he was, uh, you know, they had big Frank Howard. He was just getting started, but uh, he he was uh, he was a fairly easy out for me. He swinged at uh, bad pitches and chased curveballs in the dirt. But, but it's, it's learned. When he learned the strike zone, uh
0: he became a real good hitter. Well, you know, and it's you know, it's one thing to have your major league debut and it's another thing to have your major league debut against the the defending world champions. And Don Drysdale. Yeah,
1: was <laughs> uh, and then I had all my folks my my parents came down and uh you know, and there was so there was a lot of uh, things going on and uh but you know, I went out there and uh, Ed Bailey was our catcher and uh you know, he. Uh, I was having a hard time seeing the signs. They were the lights were sort of. They weren't really. My eyes weren't very good. You know, they were okay, but in that particular ballpark, there was a lot of shadows in between his legs there when he was giving me signs, and I crossed him up a couple of times, and uh, and he we changed the signs, and we <laughs> the signs were very very simple. It was a fastball. He put his left uh, uh, glove over his uh, left leg when he gave the sign. It was a curve. He the glove right on t- on top of his knees. You know, so I mean, anybody in the ballpark would figure that out. So. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, so that's what I remember. I remember that. Uh, you know, that was a long time ago. Yep.
0: So Jim, you were zero and three when you finally got your first big league win on on August the fifteenth against the Braves across the field. But to be fair, you lost to Drysdale and Sandy Koufax in two of those three games, and your team didn't score a run in either one of those. But the Braves had some pretty good hitters, too. A guy named Aaron, a guy named Eddie Matthews. And you held them to a one-for-eight against you that day and struck out each of them once. And you only gave up three runs that day. And then later that year, you threw a four-hit shutout against the Phillies on September the 24th at Crosley. You Uh,
1: know, the uh, Milwaukee, of all the ball clubs that I pitched uh, baseball against, I mean, a lot of ball during my career, uh... Milwaukee had very good, uh, hitters, you know, with Aaron and Matthews, and, uh, and, uh, they had, uh, Frank Bowling, I think, was a second baseman, and they had, Minky was there, and, uh, uh, there was some other, uh, you know, they were, they scored a lot of runs, but anyway, I, over my whole career, I think I, I did, um uh, you know, they were the, they were a club that I had the best luck with, I mean, it just, uh, i go out there and, uh, so now I just feel like I was in the zone, you know, like they say today. But uh, that's the way it was. So they, they were some real good hitters. Uh, you know, I, the years I came, you know, through and played, uh was 10 years, you know, I get asked all the time, you know, all, you know, all that money situation going on today. And uh, and I, I'm really glad that I came along when I did. I got the pitch against some of the greatest ballplayers that uh, ever put on a uniform. And I had some great, great uh teammates over the 10 years there in Cincinnati. That's. I want to ask you about one of those right
0: now. Most of the fans or people that listen to our podcast here know Joe Nuxall as a broadcaster. Tell us about Joe Nuxall as a player and as a teammate.
1: Well, Nuxall was, uh, when I came up in 60, he was uh, with us and then in 61, uh, yeah. I was there the whole year, and that was the only year they traded Nuxall, I think, to Kansas City, and we won the pennant that year. Yeah. And then Nuxall came back to the uh, uh, to the uh, Reds, and then he finished out his career there and went up from the field to the booth, the radio booth. But I'll never forget Nuxall. He had a temper, and... Uh, Early on, I, I don't know what year it was, it was probably the first year of Candlestick Park, maybe 62 or somewhere in there, and Nux, he was he was pitching, he was going along, blowing these guys down, and uh, he got to the ninth inning, and I think he had a uh, one-and-nothing one shutout, and uh, he got to the ninth inning, and a guy came up and hit a little uh, two-hopper or something back to him and kicked off his glove, Went over, so he went over a couple steps and sort of slipped, and he made a bad throw to first base for an air. And uh, McCovey was the next hitter up, and, and uh, he hit it in the bay. So all, you know, and he, as I said, all had a little temper, and uh, they were just starting to put in the clubhouses, they were just starting to put food out. You know, they had guys that were, some clubhouse guys were, better than other guys, but the clubhouse guy at Candlestick, the visitor's clubhouse guy was a guy named Murphy, and he's still the uh, clubhouse guy for the home team. He's been there for years. But anyway, he was just a young guy. He was just starting out. And he had these hamburgers and hot dogs and all that stuff laid out there. And boy, at next all he ran off the field and went in the clubhouse, and I'm telling you, there was mustard and <laughs> hot dogs and everything else all over the clubhouse. It was flying, huh? <laughs> yeah, and uh, it, it cost him quite a few dollars to get those things straightened out. But you know, actually, he he, he uh, learned to control his temper, and he he became a a real uh, nice pitcher. You know, in the latter part of his career, you know, he was a, uh, uh you know, if he got hit a little bit, he 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 didn't blow up. You know, he was staying within his uh, his means, which was good. You know, good for him.
0: Moving on, moving on, Jim, into 61 now. I read an article that said you developed uh, arm and shoulder problems in, in spring training that year that plagued you off and on for the rest of your career. And even with that, as if I, if I looked through your, your record and, and I looked at every start you made every season in your career, you didn't seem to miss many, many starts. Um, what do you think is the major difference now between the way pitchers are handled now and when they were handled the way when you pitched?
1: Well we you know, uh there was no pitch count. I mean we did we kept track of the pitchers. The uh the starting pitcher who was gonna pitch the next night, you know, he took care of he uh we had these little sheets where we'd mark where the balls were hit and how many pitches and what kind of pitches the guy hit so you know, you sort of stayed in the game and watched the guys you were gonna pitch and uh so you know, like myself I pitched nine innings, uh, you know, and I threw hard so there was a lot of foul balls, there was strikeouts. So if I if I threw uh, 115, to 130 pitches, that was pretty good uh, night for me for nine innings. And uh, you know I I I started you know that wear and tear on your shoulders. You know and that you know I don't think uh, God had put that sh- thing on your shoulder to throw that white rat around. You know mm-hmm. it just uh, it's an awkward motion to throw overhand with a you know if you're a softball pitcher you can. You can just throw one game after another, underhand it. but when you start to come over the top, and uh, it, you know, it puts a lot of wear and tear on your shoulder, and uh, I used to get it in the back part of my shoulder, and they said that was better back there than if you got it on the front part of your shoulder. I never had any problems in the front, but we had a doctor named George Ballou, and, uh, you know, I. He gave me a cortisone shot, and if he hit the spot, you know, I'd miss one start, and I, it was like getting an oil change. You know, I'm just ready to go, you know, and, uh, you know, that's, that's what happened, that's what I did. I, I probably took a couple of cortisone shots every year, and then one time I had problems out in Los Angeles, the ball club sent me to Dr. Curlin out there, and he gave me a cortisone shot, but, you know, that's, you know, there was, uh, that's what they did in those days, you know, you, uh, you know, there's a lot of times you go out there and pitch, and you you know, you're not right and you're sore, and uh, but you know, you just try to get get 'em out the best way you can. You don't
0: say anything about it. That 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 team in '61 was called the Ragamuffin Reds, and and you guys went to the World Series. You only pitched in one game in the World Series, but tell us about the experience of being in a World Series.
1: Yeah, you know, well that one game I pitched in there if you know, if you happened to go to the refrigerator, get a sandwich and a soda, you you had a good chance of missing me. <laughs> because uh I was the last game and uh Joey really J started the game and then he gave up a bunch of runs and then uh I was a second guy, I was a long reliever, so I got my chance and, and uh when I got in there uh across the field, uh I couldn't even see straight. I was so nervous, uh, and I was so hyper and, uh, you know, it was just a whole different deal than just a regular, you know, a regular league game, you know, being a world series, you know, I seen a lot in school when I was in junior high and, and grade school, we saw these world series games and, you you know, as a kid, that's, you'd always dream about that. And, uh, so I, I didn't handle it very well. I was, uh, overmatched in my mind. And, uh, the way I reacted, uh, I just uh I would just close my eyes and spoke as hard as I could and they were I think they got a few hits off me and uh and uh, so that was it. I didn't uh, I think I got one guy out and, and uh I was out of there. It's, 60- it a big, it's a big thrill to uh play in a World Series. That's what uh that's you know, that's one of your big goals, uh, you know, as a team to go all the way to uh you know, get to a World Series. You know, and there was no playoffs in those days, so right. you had to, you had to win your division. You know, then you went to the World Series.
0: Yeah. You st- you started the '62 season in the minors and got called up in June. From there, you went nine and seven with a 3.51 ERA, which was well below league average, which is a pattern that you would keep basically for the rest of your career until the Achilles injury. And and even that season, your last 25 innings, you only allowed one earned run and struck out 24. Two other Reds all-time greats were already on the Reds when you came up. Tell us a little bit about playing with Beta Pinson and Frank Robinson.
1: Well, I lockered next to Pinson, and on the other side of him was Frank, and then there was a corner there. That was Frank in the corner down there. And uh, so I lockered next to him, and, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> Robinson was a, uh, you know, he was a great hitter. He was a great player. Um, he... Uh, you know, he's a Hall of Famer, and uh, that's the way he played. He played hard every day. He was uh, uh, a guy that uh, if you needed to uh, have a base stolen, he, he, he could run like a deer, but he would never just go on and get on first base and start stealing. He would only take that base if you were going to have a chance to win the ball game. So he got he never got thrown out very much. Veda Pinson was a uh, real quiet uh uh, minded fellow. And, uh, he, uh, didn't say too much. He always shined his own shoes, you know, his own spikes every day. And, uh, he just led the play. He just went out there to center field. He was a great center fielder and he was a great, uh, hitter. And he, he, the way he ran, he had good speed, but he ran on his heels and he looked like a glider type runner, not a guy that's just pounded the ground with his legs. He would sort of like fly along the line a little bit. And, uh, Uh, So it was real, you know, as I said, I had great teammates over the 10 years I was there and, uh, you know, a lot of wonderful memories. But, you know, Frank Robinson, when they traded, uh, that's probably one of the worst trades that Cincinnati ever did. uh, When they they traded him to uh, Baltimore for uh, Bill Pappas and uh, Dick Simpson, I think it was. Yeah, I think
0: it was. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we get up there. Is is does Jim Maloney think Veda Pinson's a home, hall of famer?
1: Well, he he certainly needs to be considered. I mean, uh you know, I don't know. He he's uh should be on that list. I you know, I don't know if he is or not, but uh you know, I if you don't get enough votes there for some some years or yeah. something, you drop off, you know, and uh but for you know, he passed away some time ago, so I, I don't know if there's a Veterans Committee, or how they do that, but uh, you know, it's, he, he was a great ball player, and, he, and he's, you know, Cincinnati in those days. Uh, great ball players sort of flew under the radar because yep. the the media and stuff wasn't. We just had, you know, two beat writers and uh, that traveled with us, and uh, you know, they didn't have all that ESPN and stuff going on today like they do. So, <clears throat> that was, and that was, and I, I really enjoyed that part of it, you know. I I really wouldn't have played. I uh, like to play in New York uh, with all the uh, fast you know lines, fast lane stuff that goes. Yep. You know, and everybody's uh, you know big city, and you know you got to go miles to get out to the country to get in to see see grass. And uh, so when I came to Cincinnati, it, you know it was it's wonderful. It's under the radar. And, you know, you could go into a restaurant and have dinner and uh, nobody's going to bother you. And if they do, they're very courteous about it. And uh, so anyway, that's, uh, you know, I think being in Cincinnati, uh, that probably hurt Pinson a little
0: bit. Hey, Jim, m- much is made of young guys, especially ones that threw as hard as you did, going from being a thrower to a pitcher. Can you tell us about that transition for you? Was there a time when, like, the light bulb went on or was it a gradual process? and uh when do you yeah. when do you really feel like you figured out how to pitch
1: well i i, I when i first came up in the, that first uh year uh i was really just a thrower and uh then i uh came back in sixty two and i i just like you said i won nine and i lost seven and had a uh, decent earn run average and then sixty three I, I took off from yep. sixty two and i had a big year of sixty three but I, my control, my control got better. Even though I walked guys ahead, I, I don't think I led a I led year, uh, you know, a uh, couple of times in uh, wild pitches. And, uh, you know, sometimes that being a little wild uh, will help you, you know, especially if you're a hard thrower. Now, if, you don't, you know, if you're you you if a finesse-type pitcher, that's not good. So, you know, I, I, I threw everything. I didn't know anything but 100% on every pitch. You know, uh, Jim Turner... He finally, I had a hard time picking up a change up because I just couldn't slow. I slowed my motion down and I tip it off. So he, he said, just throw a cur- uh, change off your curve. So I did that to big hitters that take big swings. And uh, yeah, man, I got a lot of guys out on that pitch, and that, that helped me out. But when I threw, when I pitched, you know, it was a hard fastball and a hard curve. I mean, that's that's what it was.
0: Okay. As you said, '63 was a breakout season for you. You became one of the premier pitchers in baseball. You won the Ernie Lombardi Award as the Reds MVP. You went 23 and seven with a 2.77 ERA when the league average was 4.3. You struck out over 10 guys in 11 of your 33 starts. You threw you you struck out 265 guys, number two all time for the Reds. And during the course of the season, you beat Bob Gibson, Don Drysdale, and Juan Marichal. And you were 19th in the MVP voting, but Sandy Koufax had a pretty good year that year, 25 and five with a 1.88 ERA, and won the Cy Young. But you also threw 250 innings at age 23. Do, do you think that that was? I mean, it had to have been bad on your sh- you know, shoulder to throw that many innings that young.
1: Well, if you go into today's market, that, that's that's very true. But uh, you know, when we went to spring training, we tra- we worked. Uh, you know, our workouts were, uh, we did a lot of running. I mean, it was constant running in the outfield, and we did a lot of uh, what they call pickups, which uh, involved a lot with your back, bending over, going to pick a ball up, and the guy would pull out to your left, to your right. And you'd, you'd get out of spring training uh, where you were ready for the season uh, when you could run line to line 20 times uh, and then go over and pick up and, and do 500 pickups, And, uh, you know, so you, you got in shape to pitch, you know, that, that, you know, nine innings, that's what you were, you know, you were getting in shape for. Now, I don't know in today's market, these pitchers, uh, you know, they take them out in six innings, you know, I uh, get a pitch count, this and that. And so I, I don't know if they're getting in shape just to pitch six innings or, or what, but, uh. You know, that's. It seems like that's what it. You know, they're all programmed to do that. You know, if you get a hundred pitches or hundred and five pitches, you know, uh, you know, hey, I'm, uh, get me out of here.
0: You know, I'm out of here. Couple of a couple of your games that, that Bear talking about a little bit that season, and, and on July the 23rd, you you up at pitching against the Cubs, you threw a one-hitter and struck out 13. And I looked at the box score and I go, wow. You see, Lou Brock. Billy Williams, Ernie Banks, Ron Sando, four Hall of Famers. You had them 0 for 13. Do you know who you gave up the hit to? Uh, His name was Ellis Burton.
1: Ellis Burton. Center fielder, is that who that was?
0: I, I, he was an outfielder. I can't remember whether he was a center fielder or not. Uh, yeah, and I think
1: he gave up the hit in the first inning or something like that. Oh, wow. But, uh, yeah, that... That, uh, you know, the Cubs... Uh, they couldn't they had a hard time winning ball games and they had great ball players so wow. I don't know what the you know what the deal was. Maybe their pitching wasn't uh, you know, they had Fergie Jenkins over there as a Hall of Famer and, yep. uh, you know, they but they just couldn't uh, they were trying different things. They had roving coaches and roving managers and they tried everything but uh because Ron Santo and Billy Williams and Ernie Banks. That's that's a pretty good uh, trio right there. Yep, and they had Lou Brock. Still, Lou Brock was still in Chicago
0: at that time. So at
1: that time, then he yeah. got traded over to St. Louis. Yep. Yeah, that was another bad trade. Yeah, at that but, time, uh, Jim, you were playing
0: for legendary Reds manager Fred Hutchinson. Tell us a little about Fred. Tell us a little bit about Fred Hutchinson.
1: Fred Hutchinson was a uh, uh, great manager. Uh, he was a guy that was. Uh, Uh, Tough, Uh, he wouldn't think five minutes of chewing you out, chewing the whole ball club out, and uh, you know when you were you needed it. I mean uh, that you needed somebody to kick you in the pants and uh, tell you you know what's going on here, you know. And uh, he uh, he didn't say too much, but when he when he talked, everybody listened. The respect of everyone. But what it, what it was, he could come out and chew you out and just call you everything in the book. And then after he got through, that was it. You know, he never never held a grudge or never had resentment against you. I mean, it was just like he went up and erased the board and started over again. The other guy I wanted to
0: ask you about that was on that 63 team, he had a young second baseman come up and win rookie of the year that year. And everybody knows the, the big red machine, Pete Rose. Tell us about the young rookie, Pete Rose. Yeah, well, Pete was,
1: uh, came up in 63, and he came up as a second baseman, and uh, he started that, when he got, you know, when they when he, uh, took a ball throw, he'd start out of the box like a guy running all the way out, on, you know, getting down to the first base in about four seconds, and the pitchers, you know, they started calling him a hot dog, and put some mustard on that hot dog, and this and that, and... Uh, you know, he got hit a few times because they, you know, they thought he was showing up the that's that. And after after a while, he started to putting those hits together and having those years, 200 hits over year. And uh, he, that's the way he did it. That's the way Pete Rose played. That guy was a fantastic hitter and right-handed or left-handed. But he, uh, his arm, you know, is he he hit, so they found a place for him. Yeah. But his arm was just mediocre, and his speed was okay. But you know, he started that head first slide, and all these guys today, you know, they slide head first, and they, you know, they have a lot of them break their hands, and, and they get stepped on, and then, you know, it's a dangerous slide. But Pete, he, he'd go and he'd take off, and he'd be like playing for like Superman, hit that dirt, boom. He's that's the way he played. You know, he got out of the game. His his uniform was always just like brown or. Uh, the, just like the dirt or the grass, yep. he was always in it. So, but I, I'm glad I played with Pete. Uh, you know, he was. Uh, he, I'm sure he helped me win a lot of ball games, and uh, he helped uh, Cincinnati win a lot of ball games. So, so
0: we're getting we're getting to the point now. Where we're going to talk about a heck of a pennant race in '64. Now, personally for you, '64, you went 15 and 10, but you didn't get a whole lot of run support. Your 10 losses, you, you only they only scored 13 runs for you, and your but your ERA went down again, but you were 12 and 3 in the last three months of the season. You, uh,
1: yeah. you. I don't uh, know, we were, uh, uh, I don't you know how that came out, uh,
0: but I made a, a, well, they called it a salary drive
1: in those days. But, uh, we went down to the last game of the season, and, and, uh, they called, we were playing Philadelphia, and it could have been a three way tie. And we mm-hmm. had a chance, we came off the road. We came off the road. We had f- uh, four games to play. I think in the last week, or fourth, we had a couple off days in there. And the first two games were against Pittsburgh, and then we played the Phillies. There was an off day, and we played the Phillies Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And all we had to do, Bill, was I think just win one game, and we were going to win that pennant. And uh, you know, we uh, the Reds were going to be another you know nationally pennant. Uh, uh, winners, champions, and uh, came off there and I pitched the first game against uh, Bob Veal. And I don't know, you know, that's such a long time ago, but I, I think that Bob Veal and I set a record for striking people out, the combination of guys. You might want to look that up. I don't know. But anyway, I got beat. It went, The game went 11 innings or something, and I think I got beat. Two to one or something like that. Game so went. Walked,
0: you, the huh? game went. The game went sixteen. You threw eleven innings and didn't give up a run and struck out thirteen. You gave up three hits and the Reds got beat one to nothing in sixteen. Oh,
1: what about Bob Veal? Did he say what he did? There? I didn't. I, I don't better. have that.
0: In, I don't have that in front of me, Jim. Okay,
1: but anyway, yeah. That's why I pitched eleven innings and couldn't get a run. We had a guy on guys on third base about four times with one out and couldn't get him in. I mean, it was just a real. Uh, disappointing game for the whole team. And then uh, the next night, Billy McCool pitched, and I think he got shut out 2 to nothing or something like that. So we're 0-2, and then we go into, uh, I think, I don't know, uh, we play Philadelphia. I don't know how many games we played there, but Philadelphia was like Friday night. Jim O'Toole pitched, he had him going, and then, uh, I don't know, there was a pop-up. Uh, behind shortstop and Leo uh, kicked Clintus. the ball, mm-hmm. and uh, he ended up getting beat. But we never run it. We, we never won a game. So the last day of the season, it could have been a four-way, three-way tie: St. Louis and Philadelphia and us. And uh, as it turned out, uh, they called me. They called Hutch called me in his office, and I was scheduled to pitch. So that was my that was my turn to pitch, and. uh I had always had a little tough time with Philadelphia over the years, you know, and uh, or up to that point. But John Saturus, all he had to do was throw his glove out there, and uh, so when he decided, you know, to go with Saturus, and if we won the game, that I would start the first game against uh, St. Louis against Gibson. So anyway, we never got that far. Bunny shut us out ten to nothing, and we were headed. I was headed for California. Yep.
0: So then we're going in. So after that big disappointment, we go into '65, and uh, and you had what what maybe was your best season. You won twenty for the second time. Your ERA went down again. The only time in your career you made the All Star team, and and you and you kind of you threw two no hitters that year. Um, it, it's funny because the article I read said you had a disastrous spring training where you gave up twenty eight earned runs and forty hits and thirty innings. You took your first start off to work on mechanics, and then you threw a one-hitter in your first in your first in your first start against Milwaukee.
1: I was terrible in spring training. You couldn't <laughs> go by my record spring training. They do that after, you know. I, I was a I was a leader of uh, going to class, uh, B B games. You know they they I, they, they said they well, say, need to go to play these guys over here in the morning at ten o'clock. <laughs> so I did that for a long time, and then. When my arm, it would get sore, so I couldn't, you know, I'd have a hard time. i just throw the ball in there, and just, you know, and they they hit me all over the place. And so, I'd up a lot of runs. And then when i get over my soreness and stuff, and uh, I started the season from that year, and just like you said, I pitched a one-hitter, so I was on my way.
0: Yeah, the, the three games I want to talk about a little bit about in 65 is that the first game you threw the one-hitter, and, and and again, you said you've always pitched well against the Braves, and that was against the Braves. Uh, The one guy that got the hit was a future red, Dennis Mankey.
1: Right. He, uh, hit me, he hit me pretty good, Mankey did. Did he? The, yeah, uh, over the years. The, uh, he couldn't hit a slider to save himself. You know, that Sam Wilson struck him out three or four times, and he had sliders, and I never threw a slider. I just threw a fastball in the curve. And uh, I'd get behind him, and i try to you know get the ball behind him. He was a real good fastball hitter, and he was a low fastball hitter. And I'd get You know, I make a mistake, he get a hit off me. I make a mistake, he get a hit off me. So that's he hit me pretty good. Mickey did. On on June
0: the fourteenth that year, you were playing the Mets, and you threw you had a no hitter through ten innings, and in the eleventh inning, a guy named Johnny Lewis hit a home run off of you, and baseball no longer calls that a no hitter, but that's crazy. That's a no hitter.
1: Well they gave me credit for it for quite a while. Uh was, you know, I had three no hitters they, they you know, uh at that particular time. Right. And uh but I went along and Bob Feller was the only other guy that had thrown three hitters and Korfax had four. At that time, you know, Norman Wright I think he right. ended up with seven or something like that. But uh there's only one other guy that threw three, and that's Bob Feller. And I played golf with him in, in golf tournaments, uh Later on, and he boy, he just grinded it. I said you didn't throw you know throw him no hair he says uh I said I tell him, I said, Bob, I don't have anything to do with it i said that, so they, so he was sort of grumpy about it, and uh anyway, uh I don't know when it was it was the year of Maris they put an asterisk, but by his name, of hitting sixty one home runs in uh a hundred uh sixty two games I think yep. one hundred and fifty four games scheduled. Yep. So then they took a bunch of no hitters off the books. There were guys that pitched no hitters for five innings Rain Rainscott. They took them off the books, and uh, uh, so anyway, I I had thrown two, or I ended up throwing two more, and they they took that one off the books. So it brought me back into a group where there's quite a few guys, but and I'm sure Bob fellow was happy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Later that year in August, up and up again, up against, up against Wrigley. You threw a 10 inning no hitter where you struck out 12 in the first game of a doubleheader, and Leo Cardenas kind of saved you that day by hitting a home run for you in the top of the 10th. Yeah, that, uh, you
1: know, I, two months before that, just like you say, I threw 10 innings, and I had no, you know, you're sitting on the bench and there, there are no hits up there, and uh, 0 to 0, and you, you know you still got to keep pitching, and then I end up. The guy, Lewis, hit a home run off me, and I got beat one to nothing. And two months later, I'm sitting on the bench at Wrigley Field, and I'm in the same position. I, I pitched nine innings. I'm sitting down, and it's no hits. Comes out no hits. The score is 0-0, zero, zero, and I still have to pitch. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is a tough league, you know. I just, <laughs> you know this is a real tough league here. And uh, so as it turned out, I was on, on the on-deck circle in the uh, – top of the 10th inning, and uh, Leo was the 8th there, I was the ninth, And he hit a ball, and the ball curved, and it, I'll be darned, it didn't hit the foul pole down the left field line, so we got a run. And then I got him out in the bottom of the 10th. So within two two months there, I've thrown two 10-inning no-hitters, so I won one, and I lost one.
0: Wow. After that season, as, as, the, as you alluded to earlier, was the trade of Frank Robinson to Baltimore. Tell us about the players' reaction when they heard about this. And did did anybody that played with Frank Robinson believe he was an old thirty year old player? No, heck no. There was uh
1: you know, I, I just think that uh you know Bill Dillett was the owner of the ball club and I know at that time he was gonna uh unload the ball club. And you know, I think he was just trying to cut a salary. I don't know what Frank made it, but, you know, it was no big contracts like they have today, but maybe he might have been making Sixty-five, seventy thousand dollars. I I don't know, but that would be, probably be, and uh, that was quite a bit of money in those days. And uh he, you know, Dewitt said in the paper that he was an old thirty or somebody did. I don't know what it yeah. was. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was real old. All right. Yeah, he and won the triple
0: crown the next year.
1: <laughs> yeah, tore off the American League uh, yep. you know, MVP and everything else. So, but uh, you know, we got Noah Pappas, and he was uh, he was okay. He was. Uh, you know he was he did his, he did okay he, he won quite a few ball games but uh, you know there was and Dick Simpson was nothing and I don't know if there was another guy involved but uh, <clears throat> it wasn't
0: you know no way it was a bad trade period in in sixty in six Jim I I I've read a number we're talking about sixty six I've read a number of places that said you had contract issues with the Reds a number of times I even read a quote that you said at one point that if the Reds won't pay me what I think I'm worth let them trade me to a club that will. And back then, I mean, they, they really, you got, salaries were kept secret. And, and so how tough was it to negotiate your contract every year? Because my only reference to this is Reading Ball 4 by Jim Bouton. And he said some teams were known to be more generous with their players than others. He talked about the Red Sox supposedly being one of the more generous. How was it dealing with the Reds over money? Terrible.
1: Absolutely terrible. It, uh, you know, they, uh, the guy at uh, Minnesota, Calvin Griffith, and uh, Bill DeWitt, they were probably two of the toughest uh, guys to deal with. I mean, uh, and that was just the way they were. I mean, they were baseball guys, but they, you know, they they tell you that you had to deal for yourself. You know, there was no agents or right. anything like that. And uh, you go in there, and I'm just a green, a buying a kid from Fresno, and you're, you know, he's a lawyer and sharp businessman, and uh, you know, and they're telling you things that. You know we don't have the money because we don't draw the people, and uh, you know you don't, you don't know whether they're telling you the truth or not. But I had contract problems every year, every every year that I that I played after my after the 23 and seven after 1963, I had contract problems every year. One year, 1965, I didn't get to spring training. I was the last guy to sign. There was Drysdale and Colfax were holding out in the uh a deal in los angeles for the uh, the two of them went as a package and uh then Marechelle was holding out with the giants they ended up signing both those guys and mareechelle signed and i was march twenty first i was my dad had a sort of a uh four acre uh home on, on four four he liked to grow things my dad had gardens and all that stuff and that uh, I remember March 21st, I was out there helping put in tomato plants. We were capping tomato plants. And, uh, you know, spring training was, you know, they broke spring training around April the 4th or 5th. And uh, so you can see I didn't have about two and a half weeks of spring training. I finally I finally signed. Uh, um, but anyway, in 63, I went 23 and 7. They sent me a contract. I was making $14,000. And 1963, I won 23, lost 7. And they'd send the contract two days before Christmas, you know, because you're thinking, in my mind, I think I was going to jump to about 25000 you know, $11,000 raise. That was pretty big money in those days on your raise. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I got the contract, opened it up, and it was for a $2,500 raise. And they told me that I needed uh, two or three years like that to get to 25000 And just, you know, that's you know mentally just uh you go out there and you give it all your everything and then you have a good year and then they tell you you're going to give a $25,000 raise so it was it was uh it was hard every year was hard for me to, to deal you know I held out every year just about
0: in, in 66 you went 16 and 8 but in the again in those eight losses they scored a total of six runs for you um you led the league in shutouts, and, and you had six games with over ten strikeouts. And this is the end of a four—a pretty amazing four-year stretch. You, you, all four years, you had over two hundred strikeouts. You averaged eighteen wins and two hundred thirty-five strikeouts, and you held batters to a two ten batting average. That's a pretty amazing four years.
1: Yeah, I had a, I had a fairly good run over those four years. Then after that, uh, you know, it was uh, more arm problems and uh, other, you know. Uh, I had problems with my heel in 69, and, uh, you know, that I finally had the problem, the rough Achilles tendon, so I went, you know, I hit a patel, and then, uh, you know, and I had that injury in 1970, and I was jumping up ahead of you there a little yeah. bit, but, uh, you know, I, that, I, that, that took a lot of goals uh, that I had, you know, as a of what I wanted to do for myself, and uh, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to accomplish it.
0: But by the end of '66 and going into '67, you changed managers again, and Dave Bristol had taken over the team. What was Dave Bristol like as a manager?
1: Dave Bristol came up with the organization. Dave Bristol was fine. He had uh, Tony Helms and Pete Rose in the minor leagues, and a lot of guys that came up under uh, uh, Dave Bristol. He was a uh, uh, you know he was a player's guy. He, he he played a little ball, never in the major leagues, but. Uh, he was a scrappy guy as a player, and, and uh, that's the way he wanted his teams to play. And uh, uh, Bristol was a good manager. I, I can't say anything uh, even halfway negative about him. He was uh, supported everybody, and uh, he chewed you out when you, you know when you need to chew it out. And uh, you know he, he had uh, you know the, the ballplayers respect. He had their respect.
0: Yeah, you, you even in '67 you had a pretty good year. Your, your ERA went up a little bit, but still it was almost a run below league average. And you got your only opening day start in 1967. Do you, do you? How well do you remember that game against the Dodgers on on April the 10th?
1: The Dodgers. I thought it was Houston.
0: Oh, well, I think it was unless I wrote it down wrong. Anyway, um,
1: yeah, I remember the one start I had opening day was against Houston, and Jimmy Wayne had a home run off me, and I lost three to
0: nothing. Oh, you uh, no! This game you won seven innings, one run. Yeah, I don't remember
1: that to be uh, honest with you. Okay, you might have uh, looked on the wrong page. Yourself. I might have
0: been on on August the sixteenth that year. You let you left a, again. This is not the first time. I don't think this has happened, but you left a game in the sixth inning with a no hitter. You hurt your ankle
1: in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I had, uh, it had been raining, and they had, at Pittsburgh and Forbes Field,
0: uh, they had a
1: thing, that, a tarp, they just turn on the switch, and a tarp would come out of the ground. Now, that's hard for someone to listen to this that can imagine, but they had an automatic tarp that would come out of the mound, it would run along the first baseline, and it would come up out of the ground, these big rollers and stuff, and it would roll the tarp out over the, the, uh... The uh, diamond, and then when they had to go, to roll it back in. It would roll in, and then they would set it down, and they go down, and it was like a, oh, I don't know, maybe a foot and a half wood plank that covered the top of it. It was all along the right uh, first baseline, inside the foul territory, and uh, <clears throat> that was one night there where I had I had some really, uh, you know, there's times when you remember it. I I had some really. Uh, outstanding uh, stuff that night, and I think I retired the first eighteen guys that came up and uh and the guy hit a hopper uh, uh and I went over and I slipped in the grass and I really wrenched my uh ankle and i could i could go and blew up and everything else and uh so and there was never a no hitter thrown in Forbes field and the whole all the time I came to play there so Anyway, who knows, but uh, that was another time that, <laughs> you know, one of the times that uh, something happened, just a freak accident. Another
0: significant game, at least for, for Reds fans, was on August the 26th, and I'm sure this game doesn't, you don't remember this game, but it was your first game thrown to a young catcher from Oklahoma, a guy named Bench. Yeah, that, uh, he, he was a,
1: uh, when he first came up, I mean, you know, uh, he carried himself. He was like 19 years old, and uh, he was already running the ball club by the time he was 20. I mean, that's you know somebody to have that ability. I never said two words my first three years. They told me just to shut up and take directions. You know, <laughs> veterans. And uh, when Bench came up, he was already <laughs> he was already a team leader. I mean, he you know he was telling people what to do and. Uh, you know, you didn't run out of ball, he'd tell you to run out of ball. You know, I mean he was he was uh you know, that's the way he was. So I knew right away that that it was a special kid. Uh there's nobody who could throw out guys like he did and uh could move around the back of the plate like a cat and uh and then have that kind of offensive power, you know, as a hitter being a good hitter too, you yeah. know. So I, I
0: I read a quote where you said that he comes out on the mound and treats me like a two-year-old, but but so help me, I like it.
1: Yeah, I don't know where they come up with that, one, but evidently that must must have happened. I don't remember that, but uh, I I, I uh, some I think I popped off to some sports writer, and I may have been kidding it a little yeah. bit. And, uh, <laughs> that's how I. And I don't know. They bring it up on the internet. You know, I saw it too, but. Uh, yeah, you never know. I mean, that's I probably I probably said something like that, <laughs> and uh, just uh, see what happens. And it shows up forty years later or fifty years later on that. Everything's yeah. on the
0: internet now, yeah. Right. So, so in nineteen, you're getting into nineteen sixty eight now, and you won. five. You, you ended up sixteen and ten, and again, you were almost a half a run below league average in ERA. You won five of your last six, and finished the season with st- three straight shutouts, in which you struck out forty guys. One of the things I found interesting was. In, in, from the in, from the middle of July to the middle of August in one month you went two and two but you pitched against Gaylord Perry Don Drysdale Tom Seaver and then J- then Steve Carlton that's pretty that's a tough month <laughs> yeah well you know that's uh, when you you know when you're a starter
1: there and uh, you know being number one or number two starter you're gonna you're gonna face the other team's number one or two starters and uh that's just the way it is. That's just the way it was set up in those days. You know, they didn't, uh, you know, give us your best and we'll throw our best out there and see what happens. So I pitched quite a bit of uh, times, you know, quite a few times against Gibson and uh, Koufax and Drysdale and all, all those guys, you know, Fergie Jenkins. And, uh and you know, Perry. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I get asked all along about Koufax, you know, I said, yeah, I guess is a way. I said, you don't want
0: to, you don't want to give up more than one run. I said, you've
1: been able to get beat. Yep. You also threw a one-hitter
0: that year uh, against the Dodgers in May. Um, Versalles, who, who had won the MVP in the American League in '65, was the guy that got the hit off of you. But, that
1: that was, a, was Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so yeah. let's, let's move into 1969 now, and we went into divisional baseball for the first time, and I guess baseball got what it wanted. It got a, a great race in the National League West and a huge comeback in the East when the Mets and the, their miracle season.
1: Right.
0: Um, you, you threw your final no-hitter that year in, in April against Houston. You struck out 13, and I even read that you, you pulled a groin muscle running out an RBI double in the eighth, but you wouldn't come out of the ball game.
1: No, I don't think that's that's right. No. I, uh, I don't remember that part of it. Okay. Uh, I don't think so. I, I my legs I had always pretty good uh legs. I never had problems with my legs, just my shoulder, you know. Until that year later on that I started having problems with my heel. But uh the first part of that when I first you know, that first uh three or four games I, I, I think I was three and oh or something like that. And I started off good and then I started having shoulder problems and uh you know, it it that year was it was tougher for me to get up to a hundred percent again. You know, uh, at that time of my career. So you know, but I once I got over that shoulder problems and I was I was okay. It was good for you know maybe good for a hundred innings or so, and uh, probably I'd problems again. But uh, you know, that's just the way it was. That was the time you just pitched and you try to pitch nine innings every game. You know, that's whether you show. You know, like the Cubs game in uh, Wrigley Field with no hitter. you know, I was, you didn't tell people about the, you know, I think I hit two guys and I walked about eight or nine and I uh, was three and two on a lot of guys. And that game I threw 187 pitches. So, you know, there was no pitch count. And then you figure out for 10 innings you'd have eight warm-ups. So that's another 80 pitches on top of that. And then maybe another 40 pitches, 50 pitches warming up for the game. So you can go close to 400 pitches, you know. But uh, I started having more serious arm problems in 69, you know, that, that started out of that year. Not starting out that year, but after about the third game. You know, I had three games, those first three games, I think I pitched nine innings every all three games. I'm not sure, but.
0: and Including one of them was your no-hitter.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. Um. And then in 1970, you you tore the Achilles tendon, and I think it was your second or third start. It was on April the 16th. Uh, yeah, the first
1: start. Was first it your first start?
0: start? And yeah. uh, you know, and, and you, we can we could what if forever if you you know if you have stayed healthy and, and pitched for those teams in the in the early 70s, who knows how many games you could have won? Um, but then you know, so three years later, you were inducted into the Reds Hall of Fame. And, and, and Jim, we've talked about your your pitching all you know for for almost an hour, and and but you were a pretty good hitter too.
1: Well, as I said before, I could have started half the teams wanted me as a hitter, and the other half wanted me as a pitcher. And I had very just because I had a real strong arm, you know. I mean, I, I had an arm I, that you know they put me on the mound and I throw it, and you know they looked. You know, I mean, it was I was uh too hard, and uh, but anyway, I I. Uh, yeah, I took my primo when I first came up to hit. I actually, used me for a pinch hitter a couple of times. I mean, that's after other guys were used. You know, it might have been an extra inning game or something, or you know. And I, I took, you know, I got to, He let me hit with the extra guys, and, uh, so I kept my timing and stuff up there for about four or five years, and then I, you know, then he, then he just go in there and hit the days you start, and you know, and uh, and then, but you're always in a cage of bunting. You know, you're bunting all the time because you, know, you can help yourself win Mm -hmm. some ballgames. So I took pride in that. And uh, I know I helped myself uh, with the bat and, you know, by bunting. I was a pretty good bunter. And, uh, you know, people, you know, if you're a starting pitcher, you know, you should, in the National League, you you know, you you should be able to bunt. I mean, that's because you can certainly help yourself stay in the ballgame, number one. Mm -hmm. If you're a lousy bunter, the manager's going to make a change. And, but if you can bunt, you know the, the manager can. You're going to get it down and get that runner over to second, or get him to second to third. Uh, uh, he'll he'll keep you in there and you stay in the game, a chance to
0: win the ball game. I was reading some numbers and and there, you had the uh, you handled some some pretty big names pretty well. I, I read that Willie Mays hit 195 against you and Billy Williams hit 185, Ernie Banks 216.
1: Well, <clears throat> that may be right. Uh, I knew that the Mays did not like to hit off me, and uh, Roberto Clemente didn't hit off me like to hit off me. And uh, I had good luck with Billy Williams, but I can't say that much about Willie Sargio and Willie McCovey. They they were they were tough outs for me, and they hit you know balls with power. I mean, uh, those guys, uh, of course, Mays did too, and Aaron, and you know, Aaron hit a few home runs off me. I think of all, but I had to, I was trying to figure out the other day. I pitched against Hank Aaron, uh, 10 years, so that, that's a lot of at bats, and I think he hit six home runs off me. So, uh, you know, that's, I had pretty good luck with him, but, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, Rusty Stodd was a tough out for me, but he didn't have the power like, uh, Stargell and McCovey. Man, I, I just, uh, I never could get my curveball over to those guys, it just seemed like I'd have to challenge him. When I challenged them, they took me over. I mean, they—they, wow, they, oh, you know, they I'm glad they did get it back at me. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Jim, what would you say? Other than money, is the is the biggest way the game has changed since you've played?
1: Well, I think the you know the pitching, you know, they're uh, the way they uh, you know handle these pitchers today. Uh, there's certainly a lot of more uh, uh, the relief pitchers uh, that. Uh, with left-handed hitter, the left-handed pitchers just coming in to pitch one hit, one batter against a left-handed batter, that was unheard of when I, you know, when I played. Uh, they started. Uh, they might bring a, the left-hander in to face the left-handed hitter, but he was going to play face the right-handed hitter and the next hitter. You know, you get. You know, these guys can. I don't care who you are. If you if you're a pitcher, you're right or left-handed. It doesn't make any difference if they're left-handed hitters or right hand hitters. You get a both out. But today it's such a, uh, you know, and all the managers play the same way. They all, you know, nobody wants to be different. I mean, it's, uh, yep. you know, they all make those moves, pitching changes, games go three and a half hours, and uh, that's because of all those moves and stuff. And uh, and, and the pitching count. But the game today, it, from what I play, you know, it's basically the same game. Uh you know, I see guys throw from the outfield and they, there's bad arms. There's guys with bad arms, terrible arms. And uh, when I played, there was guys in the outfield that couldn't throw very well. And uh, there was guys that had great arms. But today, I don't really see, hear of anybody having you know, we used to take infield practice. They don't do it anymore before the games. And people used to come on, this, on the road and watch Mel Queen from right field you know, when they you know take infield and outfield practice. He would... Uh, they would put on a show and, you know, he'd uh, people come of watch infield outfield practice. They don't do that anymore.
0: So I don't know why they don't, but they just don't do it. The, I, I have to ask you this question. The Reds leadoff hitter, Sin Su Chu, has gotten hit ten times in the first month of the season with no retaliation. Would that have happened in your day? <clears throat> well, I don't know. I don't know, if, you know, uh, if he's
1: getting hit... Uh, if, you know accidentally or if it's been intentional but uh in my day if, the, if Frank robinson got hit a lot too and uh but he stood on the plate you know and, yeah. he, and guys threw inside on him and they hit him Ben dry him, you know and uh if somebody hit him you know and I'm pitching, uh you know it's just part of the game that's the way it is you got to you got to protect your own players, and uh, you know. But I, I many a time I'd ask Robinson. I said, do "You think he was thrown at you?" And he'd say no, or he'd tell me, you know, truthfully what whatever it was. And if he'd say yes, you know, a lot of times you can't tell. But you know, if he says yes, well then you're going to protect your players. That's how the game is. Yeah. But the way these umpires are today, you come inside a little bit, and they start getting uh, excited real fast. Yeah,
0: they do. Jim, you're still involved with the Reds, and, and I believe you go down to Dream Week at Goodyear every year. Uh, is that, tell us a little bit about the, about the Dream Week experience.
1: Fantasy camp, yeah, I've been doing that for a long time with the Reds. That, uh, uh, that's a fun uh, week for uh, guys that want to come, and gals too, because we have women that, that come uh, now, and uh, spend it, uh, a week with uh, guys that used to play like myself. And uh, they go out and compete against uh, teams. And uh, the last, I don't know, how many, the last six years the Reds have uh, taken over the uh, uh, program. And uh, it is really a first class program. So if anybody's listening and has an idea that I think for a Christmas gift or whatever it is, or just a gift uh, their wife wants to give, or their wife wants to give, there was a, a trip to, to Goodyear, Arizona. Beautiful facilities. It's all first class, and uh, the stories that go on. Uh, Jack Billingham, Lee May. I mean, there's all of us guys that uh, go down, and it's. I'm telling you, then they have a kangaroo court where Doug Flint and uh, Bobby Wine get involved, and uh, it. You know, it's. Uh, you just uh, have a, a week full of uh, uh, wonderful, wonderful memories, uh, and uh, so I've been doing it for. I don't know, 15 years have had but it, but it's got to be now uh, one of the best uh, that,
0: that, that's out there. Jim, to wrap up here, you had many, many milestones in your careers, incredible games. Is there one memory or one game that stands out in your mind over anything else?
1: I don't know. You know, when I started, I, I had goals, and uh, I had goals of uh, winning 20 games in a season. I was a starter, so I was able to do that, and then I had goals of uh, of uh, getting to the World Series and got that, got to the All-Star game, and I got that. That's what you get that, and then uh, uh, as far as one game... Uh, you know that I, I think every starting pitcher wants to throw a no hitter. I mean, uh, and uh, maybe the first no hitter that I had to go ten days against the Cubs and won that game. It was uh, it was quite a uh, you know. It's a game that you'll never
0: you know I'll never ever
1: forget because I, I in my mind I still go through those hitters and I remember like that day just like it was yesterday. And I couldn't tell you any of the other days of pitches outside of a few games I remember that. Uh, I, you know, I couldn't tell you what happened, but on that that day was uh, that day was a wonderful day for the Reds. We won the ballgame, game, and I and I got my first no hitter.
0: Well, Jim, I, I want to thank you very, very much for giving us so much of your time this evening. I've really enjoyed it, and I think our listeners will really enjoy it too, learning about you and your career and the Reds in the '60s. Thanks again, very, very much for for spending this time with us.
1: Yeah, my 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 uh, pleasure, Bill. It was nice talking to you and. Uh, you did a good job. Well, thank you.
0: And that's Bill Lack for Red Leg Nation
1: Radio.